Kate and Liz. You guys are in for a treat because we have our second episode from our Famous Royal Villains series. And we're doing another duet because we've gotten the thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of emails <laughs> telling us you need to do more duet episodes. So um, we're back. That's right. A double duet back to back. I mean, okay, these, this series, you guys, it's just so much. Like, it's almost hard for one person to do because, like, these royal villains, it's just mm, complicated. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. And there are actually some parallels to Marie Antoinette, who we covered last week, like that whole French Revolution era. I mean, wild, wild times. Um, and I always felt like the person we're covering was during like these same yeah. times. Agreed. Like, I always think like way more in the past than like the early 1900s. Yeah. Yeah. Like there are photographs of this guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like photographs. Yeah. I mean, there could even be some or one child alive today. No, <laughs> actually, I think that's been disproven. <laughs> but there's lots of rumors of uh, connected to this man, Grigori Rasputin. And if you guys um, loved my French accent last week, you're gonna really love my Russian accent this week. <laughs> I cannot wait, <laughs> personally. So yeah, we're talking about the one, the only Rasputin and his connection to the royal Romanov family of Russia, the imperial family of Russia. And it seems like wherever there is a royal villain, a revolution is yes. or follows. <laughs> I was just going to say that it is shortly followed by a revolution. Like the last, you don't want to be the last queen, okay? Because let me tell you, your head will be cut off. Like, yeah, your head will roll. Um, wow. I really can't just wait to fully get into this because I feel like we all are like, oh yeah, Rasputin. He's like that crazy monk who got in with some royal family and like he had prophecies or something, you know, like we don't really know too many details. Yeah. I feel like about, we gloss over him because I'm telling you, you could take a whole entire semester class on this man oh. alone. Never mind the royal family, that whole time in history, just in Russia. It's insane. And if you want like the 10,000 foot level synopsis, go to Drunk History and watch the Dangerous Minds episode. They cover Rasputin, played by Jerry O'Connell. You it. <laughs> oh my God, I'm obsessed. That show is so good to just like, if you haven't watched it in a couple of years, do yourself a favor and go back and watch it because it is so ridiculous. <laughs> so ridiculous and how they take something as complicated as like Rasputin and the Romanovs and distill it down <laughs> to literally like seven minutes <laughs> is just you know amazing writing in itself um but if we're googling things before we get started 
I need everyone to Google Grigori Rasputin just to see this man's face, okay? Oh, do we have to? We're going to have nightmares. Trigger warning. Uh, are like hypnotic. His beard is disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's known that he like didn't bathe for months at a time. He was not the cleanest. I mean, it was a stinky time. It was still the early 1900s. It was a stinky time. But like, I think they did have plumbing by then. <laughs> Yeah, well, isn't this, isn't this, like, one, like, craziest picture? That's, like, a cover album, an album cover, isn't it? Like, that photo. I mean, it's... an album. He has just been, in pop culture, I mean, there's that 1970s song, (laughs) Yeah, that's worth a Google to watch that video. Let me tell you... Like, he he has lived on. The lore of Rasputin has lived on, you know. Um, we know him by his last name. Like, we just go by his last name, you know, because that's how famous he is. And, I mean, oh. his creepy, face. Creepy, creepy. Unsettling, unsettling. I don't like it. No. No. Okay. Well, let's get, get into it then. So. Our sources are from biography.com, Wikipedia, all that's interesting. Um, that all that's interesting article is the bizarre life and death of Grigory Rasputin, the mad monk of Tsarist Russia, uh, drunk history. So lots of places where you can dive deeper. Um, Ugh, he's so creepy. Sorry, I have to stop looking at his picture. But you can't look at the picture for too long because his eyes might hypnotize you. Ew, I know. I feel like I'm cursed now. <laughs> Oh, no. I'm going to have to stage myself after this. Yes. Yeah, for sure. We're all cursed. Um, Okay. So, high level. Grigory Rasputin was a mystic and quote-unquote holy man whose ability to improve the condition of Alexei Nikolaevich, a hemophiliac um, heir to the Russian throne, made him an influential favorite at the court of Emperor Nicholas II and Empress um, Alexandra. Um, But after failing to become a monk, uh, Rasputin became a wanderer and eventually entered the court of Tsar Nicholas II, as I just mentioned, kind of became friends with this imperial family. Because he had these healing powers and he was known for his like prophecies. Um, Alexandra's the Tsarina, like, really took a liking to him. Um, but you know, the people of Russia aren't dummies and they're kind of like, who is this guy that has so much influence over the Tsar and the Tsarina? He like wasn't really trying to like influence politics but his motives were questionable um and spoiler alert we're gonna get into it Rasputin became swept up in the events of the Russian Revolution and met a very brutal death at the hands of assassins in 1916 yes that's that sums up like everything we're about to get into so if any of that interests you we'll be speaking about it so stay tuned or you know what we're good join us next week (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my god I'm dead <laughs> okay so let's talk about his early life um Rasputin was born to a Siberian peasant family around 1869 um he received very little schooling and probably never learned to read or write 
in his early years, some people from his village said he possessed supernatural powers, um, while other cite examples of extreme cruelty. For a time, it was believed that his name, Rasputin, meant, uh, how do you say this? I think it's licentious. 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 (laughs) That's not even a Russian word. Yes, but we do, if you don't know what that means, like me, it means uh, promiscuous and unprincipled in sexual manners. He definitely had a sexual prowess. Um. I mean, yeah. Yes. It was a little out of control. But today, now, historians believe that Rasputin meant where two rivers meet. So, um, you know, some debate there. And um, this is a phrase that could describe where he was born in Siberia. At the age of 19, he re- he got married to Broskovina Froidrona. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. And had three children. Two others died shortly after birth, so three that lived. And in his early 20s... Um, he left his family and traveled to Greece and the Middle East and making several pilgrimages to the Holy Land. Um, He thought that this was some sort of quest that he had to do brought on by the deaths of his two children. Um, He entered, um, when he came back, he entered a monastery in Russia with the intention of becoming a monk. He went through the motions, um, but had more of an interest in befriending a local hermit. who hung out, I guess, nearby, uh, who converted him to a fundamentalist version of orthodoxy that included becoming a vegetarian and the continuance, continuous uh, penitence for sin. Real fun. <laughs> Real fun. <laughs> yeah, sounds like a blast. So, yeah, he's, like, taken in by this hermit guy. Yeah, so he, like, never really finished his monkery, becoming a monk. Um <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure of the technical term, um, but yeah, so after his conversion by this hermit, he kind of became a hermit himself and wandered Russia for several years. Um, he would return to his family from time to time to help out with like planting and harvesting in town. Um, but while he was on the road, he developed a gift for charming people. He could talk just uh, to just about anyone into putting him in putting them up, sorry, putting him up into their home, giving him free food as he preached to them. So he was very charismatic. Oh, yeah. He's like schmoozing everybody. I mean, he's literally just spending these years like practicing how to be the best like schmoozer of all time. And like with him having this like religious affinity, I feel like he's more of like a zealot really than like, you know, like, I don't know. There's definitely some con man stuff going Uh, on. Yeah. He's a cult leader, like 100%. (laughs) Exactly. So somewhere along the way, a rumor spread that he was a mystical healer. Um, No one to never one to walk away from an opportunity like that. Uh, Rasputin decided to start, treating um, injured and ill farmers with a mixture of faith healing, laying on of the hands, scriptural teaching, and occasional common sense advice about getting lots of rest and drinking plenty of fluids. 
<laughs> that was like his advice and everyone's like oh my god you're a mystical healer like uh, drink he's like um just take a nap and drink some boiled down water mm-hmm. <laughs> keep hydrated he Insane. also had a fascination with magnets you know like the weird kid in elementary school <laughs> what you added in your notes <laughs> you're like I did not say that that was added in by Kate but um, I mean, you know the kid who was weirdly obsessed with magnets. We all had one in our class. Come on. I feel like magnets were probably very like mystical at this time too, right? Because like yes. science is coming around. And- <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So. Um, he also had a number of disturbing facial and body tics that made people very nervous around him. Uh, yeah, so while even though he was charismatic, people were just uncomfortable. Um, while distracted or talking, his arms would jerk and his hands would flutter wildly. Sometimes his whole torso would seize momentarily while he made a uh, particular emphatic point, you know, so. Yeah, well, it's also, it's not in our notes, but like, there's many, many accounts of him, uh, like, being completely just wasted on heroin and yeah. any kind of those drugs of the time du jour. Because at, some people say, like, that's when he started kind of having these, like, almost seizure-like things because he was literally, like, probably having, like, a seizure <laughs> From either withdrawal. withdrawal, yeah, withdrawal, or being like so, uh, like cracked out, basically, for lack of a better term. Um, seriously, yeah. Back in this time, heroin was readily available. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sorry, you're not a hermit wandering all over, like Europe during that time, and you're not doing a little bit dabbling in drugs. I don't think so. Like, of course, this man is dabbling in the drugs. So I mean, the royal family was probably dabbling in the drugs too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everybody was. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they were just like drinking cocaine as a cure. Like, come on. So, um, yeah, they thought it like helped helped them. So that's kind of what I had read and seen. <laughs> different places but I didn't really add that anywhere in the notes because I couldn't find any like you know actual evidence of that but I think it's known that yeah. he was like okay super drug out allegedly yes yes <laughs> we don't want to get sued by Gregory Rasputin's ancestors exactly um because we know they're listening so <laughs> hi I mean I don't even know how to say hi in Russian I don't either. (laughs) Sorry. Um, After the first few preaching sessions uh, that he did, the men of um, Pokrovskov. I don't know. That was good. That was really good. Some Russian town. I'm telling you, I think my Russian accent's better than my French. I mean, I know my French is horrible. (laughs) (laughs) That was a really good, like, I'm, like, impressed. Um, so these men in this Russian town that I can't pronounce, uh, they kind of just learn to live with his eccentricities for their own safety, really. They're like, we're not going to bother the weird guy with the tics on heroin um, because <laughs> yeah. this thing, you know, they say he's a healer. Um, 
when he when when Rasputin felt like he was being mocked by people, he had a reputation for plunging into the crowd and pummeling as many men as he could while yeah. screaming damnation at them. <laughs> yeah, they were probably like scared that if they didn't go, he was going to beat them. But even if they did go, they might get beaten. But they were like, this man just nice. this wild yeah. into a crowd. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean. Oh, frightening. So, yeah, I mean, there wasn't much going on in Western Siberia. And so Rasputin kind of started attracting crowds for his eccentric nature, his supposed healing power. Um, There wasn't a local church in this town. So Rasputin started holding religious services in his own home, um, complete with healings and supposed miracles. Um, By 1902, the crowds and these events had gotten too large to fit into his home. So he took his show on the road. Uh, This time, he just set off for good. He never really came back. He set off on a journey to a monastery in Kiev, more than 1800, um, or is it Kiev? I think it's Kiev. I I think it's Kiev. Yeah, I thought it was Kiev, and then, like, the whole Ukrainian war broke out. I know. Go Ukraine. We are pro-Ukraine here. (laughs) Pro-Ukraine. Kiev. Um, so he went all the way to Kiev, 1800 miles away, um, on this like tour. When he finished a year of religious instruction there, um, he was partly a student, partly a teacher. He again crossed the Russian steep to Kazan, where he started meeting with bishops and um, aristocrats. And there he displayed this like confidence that he had honed um, while living by his wits as a hermit. And he ended up taking over religious instruction at the local cemetery. Or, sorry, yeah. cemetery. <laughs> cemetery. Oh, God. He was actually like um, the original Dracula. <laughs> he was teaching at cemeteries to dead people who were actually <laughs> like vampires. Um, he was totally faking his way into into this it's insane the original fake it till you make it right but like people hadn't seen stuff like this before so it's like easy to be duped you know um right well and somebody comes from this like mm -hmm. he's like an interesting guy he's different than everybody else so people are intrigued by him Mm. like how did this man from such a small town in siberia come all this way into like you know chit-chatting rubbing shoulders with the bishops and aristocrats of the time like who is this man and he's going on tour so like he's making himself known like in all these Mm -hmm. towns um and along the way he must have impressed somebody important because within a year he was on his way up um there were people that were sending letters of introduction to the capital in St. Petersburg, um, where he would eventually rub elbows with the rulers of the Russian empire. Um, he's like, I got to get to St. Petersburg. That's where everything's happening. I got to go meet the Imperial family. Um, yeah. yeah, he made it happen for himself. <laughs> yes. So in 1904, Russia was badly losing a vicious war with Japan Men across the country were being drafted and estates were being taxed to support the Far East conflict that seemed to be the Tsar's pet project. Um, when the Russian fleet was destroyed at, oh, I didn't know there was going to be like Japanese words in Tsushima. here. Tsushima. <laughs> Thank you. 
I'll just jump in for you. Thank you. Uh, riots erupted in the streets. Active revolutionaries and the crowds turned, um, you know, food riots and a labor disturbance into a full-blown revolt against the monarchy, which was swiftly put down with volleys of rifle fire from returning troops. And once the yeah. violence finally ended, Vladimir Lenin and the other leading Bolsheviks um, who were trying to, you know, fight back against the imperial family had to go into exile. I mean, this is this is like such like the the French Revolution, like the so there's more into this. Like, I mean, you can do a whole thing on just this kind of like time of dispute because you know Russia was was starting to have like tons of factories and stuff, so a lot of people started moving to the cities and working making not that much of like a gap between the people in charge and everybody else. Right. So, and they started being like, wait, we should have more fair, like this and that. So there, there was like a big, and then like the really poor people couldn't afford bread. And that was like a whole thing of like, Lenin was like, give them bread. I don't know, whatever. He said something with the word yes. bread in it. Very much like, yeah, um, Marie Antoinette, like you're Marie saying. Exactly. And like, I mean, of the time, people are looking to, you know, seeing these imperial families with so much wealth and there's like no yeah. middle class at all, you know. Yeah, and it's insane. It just is desperate times call for desperate measures. And that's what happened. Um, so like Russian courtiers seem to have a pretty low opinion of this peasant, you know, Rasputin, um, when he arrived, his life as a hermit and his low born mannerisms, not to mention his tics irritated St. Petersburg's nobles, um, and his obvious efforts to schmooze with the Roman, with the Romanovs alienated them further. So like, again, people are like, why are the Romanovs so into this guy? We're going to get into it. Um, even more controversial, Rasputin was adored by a cult-like group of women he called his little ladies. Ooh. Oh, God, I know. I, like, cringe. Yeah. yeah. In Drunk History, they talk about what a sex maniac this man was, basically. Yeah. He like, was insane. everybody's wife. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, like, just remember... He wouldn't shower for months. Yeah. He had uh -huh. this, this, like, power over these women. And, like, he was oh. in, like, these noblemen's wives. <laughs> like, he didn't yeah. care. <laughs> no. Insanity. So I can't. If this is going to make you vom, so get ready. Pull over the, the trash can right now. I'm giving <laughs> you all fair warning. Um. <laughs> These little ladies would fight over his dinner scraps, kiss his fingers just after he licked them, and <laughs> regularly sleep with him, like you said, despite the fact he would proudly go months without bathing. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, oh, my God. Yeah. Ooh. I can't. I just, Cold I have eater. never met anyone in my life that I've been, like, I don't know. It's it's kind of just like you said, like a cult leader, like anyone that has had that like power or effect on me where I'm just like, oh, my God, this man yeah. takes everything. 
Yeah, yeah. I don't think like he was adored by these women. I think they were like, okay, this is our way a little bit up the ladder. This is what we have to do. Like, also, I don't think they really adored him. Right. Well, and even if he, like these were noble women, you know, too, like women weren't doing shit at this time. Like they were sitting around bored, like, you know, they yeah. not like they were able to work or do anything, you know? So yep. like this man is showing them attention, showing them whatever, making them feel good, stimulating their minds, their bodies, whatever, you know? So. Yes. Oh my God. Oh, he's so <laughs> creepy. He's so, those women must have been so scared. <laughs> or really kinky I don't know <laughs> yeah I mean yeah hey we don't want to kink shame but <laughs> not my thing uh, no not my thing so yeah that's for me talk, let's talk about the Romanovs let's have the Romanovs enter the chat now because I this is the fascinating part like to me really um despite all these like unappealing details about him he still managed his way to charm his way into the court of Nicholas II the last emperor of Russia. What did you say? Uh, you never want to yeah, be the last. You never want to be the last. No, not a good sign. Yeah. And he also won over then pregnant Tsarina Alexandra with several flattering prophecies about her unborn child. And because of this, you know, the latent dislike of Rasputin in arist um, aristocratic circles kind of flared up into open hatred. Again, he's having like this power and influence over the czar and czarina and people aren't liking it. Yeah, I feel like there it's kind of like the gossip around the court is like, mm, who is this guy? We don't really trust him after we know like he's too much like worked his way into this inner circle. They're totally. suspicious. I when your friend joins a cult, you're like, how do I tell them? <laughs> I don't really know. Um, yeah, it's like, who's going to say something? They're all exactly. looking at each other like, uh... This, like, um, Zar Zarina, you're the most powerful people in the country. We kind of need you to lead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. And, yeah, in this time of such, I mean, it's craziness is happening, Yeah. Yeah, so the tension only grew more serious after the birth of the heir apparent, Alexei Romanov, um, when his mother, Alexandra, turned to Rasputin for treatment and advice on managing the young prince's hemophilia. So hemophilia, if you guys don't know, is like this horrible disease where like if you like walk, like your skin is just, I don't know, it's a blood disorder where if you walk into something, you stub your leg whatever you are like gushing blood like you can't you can't yeah. anything you're just like basically glass because yeah you'll get like a huge bruise if you just like lightly tap your arm on something and yeah if you get a cut forget it you'll you'll bleed to death right it's very dangerous and so they had to really protect um and it's genetic I think too um so they had to protect their son and you know he's supposed to be the heir apparent he's supposed to be strong you know and the people are gonna look up to him and they've got this like weak little right oh my know. god yeah so what was Rasputin's advice for hemophilia he told Alexandra to stop giving the baby aspirin which helped to alleviate some of his symptoms and cemented his mother's faith in the month monk 
So yeah. one- because aspirin, like, doesn't that thin your blood? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So he he's like, hmm, maybe you should stop giving him this blood thinner. <laughs> yeah. And that started working. So they think he is like, I mean, he has to be some sort of mystic because it, that probably wasn't like widely known that that's what aspirin did. Oh, no, sure. I mean, like, yeah. And they're like, okay, well, it didn't really cure everything, but it makes some things better. So it's kind of working. So yeah. Alexandra especially like had this huge faith in Rasputin. And by 1907, he was a regular caller at the palace and felt confident enough to advise the czar on matters of the state. Um, While it's unclear exactly how much influence he had in this arena, he had enough to make other nobles feel really threatened, as we mentioned. Um, And once a noble feels threatened, watch your back. (laughs) Because... Oh, yeah. You're going down. They're going down. Uh, They don't like their reputation, their money, whatever. Their women threatened, you know? And Rasputin after it all. (laughs) Yep. They were soups, suspicious. They were sus. Yep. Rasputin is so sus. He's like the definition. The definition of sus, for real. The original cult leader, the definition of sus. Uh, He, so this, like, you know, people, people are getting nervous around him. And this provoked several powerful rivals to get Rasputin prosecuted within the church. Um, Rasputin's interpretation of the Bible had always been kind of unusual, <laughs> but now this uh, the spiritual consistory of Tobolsk was demanding a trial for heresy. Uh, not a good thing. You don't want to mess with the church, especially in like Orthodox Russia. No. Um, specifically, he was accused of holding beliefs similar to a sus- suppressed Orthodox cult from Siberia which, if true, would have seen him defrocked and possibly imprisoned. Um, But he was able to beat the charges in 1908, and his prestige only grew. So even when he was accused of rape, uh, he was still not even close to being removed from power. Hmm, who else does it sound like? (laughs) This sounds familiar. I mean, it's almost like he was walking around telling noble women he would grab him by the pussy or something. I don't know. <laughs> oh my God, I'm dead. It's all of this is, it's all a cycle, people. It is. History it's works. coming. It's coming. We don't learn from history. Everybody says, learn from the history, learn from history, learn from. We don't. We're idiots. We don't learn from history. Yeah. Yeah. We got a cult leader running for president. Um, Bunch of idiots. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, obviously, he had so much power. You know, these charges. I mean, of course, sadly, today, rape charges still aren't really taken that seriously. So, you know, I can imagine mm-hmm. that. Wait, really? They weren't being taken seriously. Um And by 1911, most of his enemies had either fallen out of favor with the Romanovs or had been exiled. Um, By 1912, the odd and sometimes violent monk Rasputin was arguably the main power broker in Russia. Russia is freaking huge. (laughs) This man is like controlling this huge country, huge world player. Like, it's insane. 
<laughs> it's nuts. It's it's absolutely it is insane. It's insane. Yeah. So people, as we mentioned, did not approve of Rasputin or his relationship with Romanovs and some of his enemies were really starting to wish he was dead and some of them were planning to go the extra mile to do the job themselves. Um, the first known attempt on Rasputin's life, or at least the fun- first one like anybody noticed kind of like came in the summer of 1914, a day um, in July when Alexander summoned him to the palace to discuss a threat of war from Austria. Though he always rushed to the Tsarina's side when she called this day, Rasputin stopped in the street to give money to a person whom he thought was an old beggar woman. But the beggar woman was actually disguised and was an ex-follower of a fellow monk, na- fellow monk named uh, Ilidor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Ilidor. Yeah. And while Rasputin was like fishing through his pockets to find some change, the woman produced a dagger and struck him just above the navel. But instead of falling down or going into shock from the pain, Rasputin ran to a nearby growth of trees and grabbed a stick, which he used to beat the fleeing woman. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. He's like, listen, lady, I just shot up. Like, I'm ready. To fight. He's like, don't bring a knife to a stick fight, lady. (laughs) Don't bring a dagger to a stick fight. (laughs) I'm dead. Um, I mean, I assume if I get stabbed above the navel, I'm automatically dead, right? Right. I mean, if you're Alexi, you are. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, yeah, for sure. But like, I, I just assume, like, you're hitting some vital organ, I, correct? Mm-hmm. I would think so. I mean, this, we're going to go into this, and I know you're going to talk about his assassination, which was extensive. <laughs> yeah, you think this is crazy? Wait till his actual assassination. So the person who had hired the woman, Illidor, went into hiding, and Rasputin spent the next few weeks recovering from his injuries. Um, The next few years after this incident were an absolute nightmare for Russia. War with Germany and Austria ground up entire armies and popular opinion at home quickly turned towards achieving peace at any price. Yeah, they're like, please just get us out of this wartime. Like, please. We don't have bread. (laughs) Yeah, just make peace. Like, oh, my God. They're but over it. all, the aristocracy was in deep denial, just like we saw with the French aristocracy. Mm-hmm. And they're just the, so far removed. It, so it's, far. it's absolutely, it can't be attained. This. I mean, that's the problem with like monarchies being bred and inbred and whatnot. And like, it's all from these lineages where they never have to ever go into the real world, ever, <laughs> like for generations, you know, so... It's just so insane. So Rasputin, who obviously came from a different background than the imperial family and the aristocrats, saw things kind of differently. By 1916, he was secretly conspiring some of, with some of the more realistic members of the court to force the czar into negotiations. But once one, sorry, but one of the conspirator meetings was abruptly broken up when a relative of the czar, Prince Felix 
Yusupov uh, walked in on them unannounced. Later, Yusupov would write that he and Rasputin had spent long evenings together talking about politics and that the former peasant had tried to talk him into supporting peace on the grounds that it was the only way to save the monarchy and avoid a civil war. But as far as the prince was concerned, this was treason and he resolved to do something about it, right? Like, oh my God. It's like, wait, was Rasputin actually trying to do like the right thing? He was for once, right? He's like, okay, I'm trying to help the monarchy because I see civil war is breaking out. I have been a peasant. I understand these people. And, but these aristocrats do not want to hear it. Okay. They don't right. want And they're like, oh, anything they can do to get this guy out. He's like, oh, this guy's conspiring against the emperor. Okay, boom, we got a way to get him out of here. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, right? He's kind of playing into what they've been hoping for. So um, just a quick side note on Felix. He was quite a character. He was born into a line of increasingly mad aristocrats. It's all the inbreeding, you guys. We (laughs) love a mad aristocrat. I know. One of the best things, one of the best roles that... um, Paul Rubens played was that super inbred um, aristocratic prince from wherever and his eyebrow fell off into a super something and he was going to marry Jenna on 30 Rock. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Oh my God. Holy forgot about that. Yes. That was the best episode of that show. Yeah. You guys just look into it. it. There's lots of mad royal people (laughs) i mean you gotta get some like different blood in there at some point gotta yeah mix it up mix it up mix it up that's right otherwise you have a mad hemophiliac as your heir okay so his father okay felix's father who was also mad um had a fetish for eating dinner in different rooms every night, which kind of sounds fun to me. <laughs> yeah, like, why not? Change yeah. it up. Like, 40 rooms, why not, right? Um, his aunt bred silkworms that filled every room of her estate, and his grandfather arranged marriages among his peasants to selectively breed girls for their beauty. So, the ultimate matchmaker. <laughs> oh, my God. This is insane. It's like... Yep, that sounds exactly like what a creepy old man would do. Yep. Sounds about right. And Felix and his friends spent their youth, as you do as a young, um, rich person, drinking and gambling um, and occasionally dressing up as women. (laughs) So, you know. All right. We support that. We support that. All, you know, gender is up to whatever you decide. Yeah. Hey, sounds fun. (laughs) Yep. So Felix was married to the Tsar's niece, and they were actually visiting Germany together when the first war broke out. The Germans initially detained them, but by pulling a lot of strings, Felix has managed to get his family back in Russia um, to help, you know, get him out of the hostilities. So he worked those royal connections. Um, And though they often met for talks, Felix despised Rasputin, like a lot of people did. He later wrote, with his caftan baggy be- uh, breeches and great top boots, he looked exactly what he was, a peasant. He had a low, common face. Okay. Oh, can't you just picture him saying that in, like, the most, like, ugh, yeah. voice? 
And I definitely wouldn't say Rasputin's face is common. Sorry. <laughs> but <laughs> No, but he did have like a low face. Like I totally know what he's talking about. <laughs> he was just like roasting Rasputin. Yeah. Talking about behind his back. Uh, he said, um, surrounded by seven shady looking men, four of them were a distinctly Jewish type. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh god like we're not not looking good not looking good we're still many years away from uh world war ii but you can see the feelings Eesh, there. it's coming uh and the other three were fair and curiously alike in appearance um felix thought they might be german agents they looked like a group of conspirators so yeah, he that and that's what he said when he walked in on this meeting like he he walked in on this meeting of Rasputin and some of these other guys. And he's saying like, they were clearly like a group of German agents. And I know for a fact that Rasputin wants peace because he's told me himself. So these guys are having like a secret mission. They're Jewish and like, you know, give it throwing out all the insults of the time. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So they're conspiring. And so he is making it known. Um, and if he was right, if Felix was right, and they were indeed conspirators, then they were Russia's last hope. If Rasputin had actually managed to negotiate peace with Germany in the winter of 1916, the Krensky coup and the later Bolshevik revolution would probably not have happened. And there would have been no civil war, no great purge, no Stalin, and maybe even no World War II. Oh my God. So it's like, if Rasputin actually got what he wanted and this Felix Yusupov guy mm-hmm. hadn't interfered in this there may not have been it's the butterfly effect man it is it's so crazy sliding doors all of that jazz uh, yeah. so I mean that's just you know I mean it's just fascinating to think about the what ifs um I know. but that wouldn't do it for Felix with an uncharacteristic decisiveness he planned Rasputin's death and the end of any talk with of peace with Germany because remember we're not surrendering this is treason like you know <sighs> these people oh just God. like maniacs and don't care how many lives are on the line um so yeah no. yeah I mean even now they don't really care about just kind of outwardly killing people and assassinating people. Mm-hmm. Cause like it just happened recently. I'm not even going to like say words or names because we yeah. don't want to get flagged again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> For the thousandth time. Um, but yeah, this basically brings us into Rasputin's assassination by this, Felix Yusupov character. So on the night of December 29th, 1916, which like is not that long ago at all in the grand scheme of things, let's remember. And like um, one of my favorite time periods for like fashion and stuff. Like I know you don't think of Rasputin living in this time. It's crazy. So December 29th, 1916, I'm sure it was cold as fuck outside Russia, yeah <laughs> yeah um so a group of conspirators including the Tsar's first cousin Grand Duke Dmitry Pavlovich and Prince Felix Yusupov invited Rasputin to Yusupov's palace and fed him wine and cakes laced with cyanide which any normal person would 
immediately die from. Like, cakes laced with cyanide. You should die automatically, 100%. Like, not just a tad of cyanide. Like, a bunch of cyanide. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, It says, the rescue and eventually became rather drunk. The poison seemed to have no effect. Because he's built up his tolerance with all the heroin. (laughs) Yeah, and he's been stabbed. He and it didn't kill him. He's like poison, please. Ha ha ha. Give me more vodka. Vodka. <laughs> so um baffled but not deterred, the conspirators finally ended up shooting rescue in multiple times. He was then wrapped in a carpet and thrown into the Neva River. <laughs> That's what I like to call it. Um, where he was discovered three days later. So like he was poisoned with cyanide, shot several times. Several times. I was, think- like, still not even really dead, and they rolled him up in a carpet. His, his official cause of death was drowning. Yes. I think in Drunk History, like, he got shot in the back once and then got up again and was like... Yeah, I, I think he did. Still good. And they were like, what the fuck? And so then they shot yeah. him like a bunch more times. Yeah. You know? They shot him multiple times. Yeah. <laughs> and he just would not. This is what this is what Felix says. Quote, this devil who was dying of poison, who had a bullet in his heart, must have been raised from the dead by the powers of evil. There was nothing appalling and monstrous in his diabolical refusal. There was something appalling and monstrous in his diabolical refusal to die. And this just makes me think, I don't know, maybe he did have some kind of weird little power, you know? It's Yeah. See that when he's, you know, yes, his medical advice is pretty, like, not real. Standard. Like, <laughs> I don't know, like this man would not die. <laughs> I know. He he was either had so much drugs in his system or maybe he did have some sort of special power. Um, Magic, you know. <laughs> that was his thing. Yeah. Yep. Um, well, okay, so this article says, well, Grigory, Grigory Rasputin's death did eventually come he is still thought to have been one of the hardest men to kill in all of history. So that's like amongst his other claims to fame. Um, And considering the plans he was making to secure peace in his country before he died, like we mentioned before, one has to wonder what may have happened if he lived and succeeded in getting the emperor to kind of make a peace. Mm -hmm thing so which like I'm all about peace so I feel like go Rasputin (laughs) we all have Prince Felix to blame for World War II apparently so yeah yeah yep Felix Yusupov bad guy um okay so by killing Rasputin his assassins not only eliminated their enemy but may have also unwittingly altered world history forever okay yada 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 we just went through all that so although Rasputin was gone the last of his prophecies was yet to unfold shortly before his death he wrote to Nicholas to predict that if he were killed by government officials the entire imperial family would be killed by the Russian people 
his prophecy ended up coming true 15 months later when the Tsar, the Tsar, his wife, and all of their children were murdered by assassins amidst the Ugh. Russian Revolution. So and I am like obsessed with this story. It is just horrific, but I love reading about the Romanov murder for some reason. It's just like awful, awful. <laughs> and- I know. Like, there's just, uh, there's a lot of, like, suspicious things surrounding that as well, you know? A hundred percent. And I, I just hate that, like, the kids are involved, you know? Like, same with Marie Antoinette like, and Louis. It's just, I guess they just have to cut off the lineage, right, too, you know, when you're doing a revolution. But it's just, like, so sad that, like, you know, the kids are murdered. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean... This is, a cr- and and again, it's not that long ago, and there are, like, pictures of these people with, like, actual cameras mm-hmm. <laughs> and photographs. Um, so, this is kind of, yeah, going into the murder of the Russian imperial family. So, the Russian Revolution was a period of political and social change in the Russian Empire starting in 1917. This period saw Russia abolish its monarchy and adopt a socialist form of government following two successive revolutions and a bloody civil war. So, like, oh, my God, these people are at wit's end. Could you imagine just being, like, a poor peasant person during this time? Like, just war after war. There are just, like, generations of people living. Their whole lives are just, like, one war after the other. Right. And it's not like you can say, like, no, I'm not going to go fight in the war. Like, you didn't have that option. So so everyone knows someone who's, like, been killed or... Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the Russian Revolution can also be seen as the precursor for the other European revolutions that occurred during or in the aftermath of World War I, such as the German Revolution of 1918 to 1919. So, you know, this is just like, lots of wars going on during this time in that area of the world. Um, So the Russian Revolution was inaugurated with the February Revolution in early 1917. So with major defeats on the front and increasing logistical problems that affected both the front and the rear, shortages of bread and grain, the Russian army was steadily losing morale and signs of a potential large-scale mutiny were present. So hearken back to Marie Antoinette times. Like this is very similar of just the people are like, we literally have no other hope than to actually die trying to like abolish this monarchy or whatever. They're going to die in either way. Exactly. Exactly. You have to get to a a point of like, yeah, okay. If I'm going to die, I'd rather die fighting for like what I think is right. That should be happening. So high-ranking officials were um, convinced that if Tsar Nicholas II abdicated, the unrest would subside. So he agrees and steps down. Which is him for, like, you know, I don't think Marie Antoinette and Louis would have done that. And, like, I think we were talking before we started, like, yes, they weren't the best, but Nicholas and Alexander seem, in the grand scheme of things, like, not the worst either. (laughs) Right, right, yeah. 
So he he agreed to step down and ushering in a new provisional government led by the Russian Duma. So under the guise of protection, the Bolsheviks basically were like, okay, uh, imperial family, come with us to, I think it was, I think they were able to live like in their winter palace because they kind of had to live like in exile during yeah. This time after he abdicated because like people were still fucking pissed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't the Bolsheviks the name of the place, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I know. I did. I did read it, but I forgot mm-hmm. to include it in the notes. Um, but under the guise of protection, the Bolsheviks led the Romanovs underground at their winter palace, where they basically ambushed them because they thought like, okay, these people were really trying to just like. They weren't going to kill us. Sure, that we were like not their leaders anymore, but like they thought they were kind of just going to like hide for a little while and then just live like in one of their palaces. Whatever, it's fine. It's cool. I abdicated. Yeah. We'll have peace now. Like it's fine. Everything's fine. We're good. <laughs> yeah. So the Russian Imperial Romanov family, which was Nicholas II of Russia, his wife Alexandra. And their five children, Olga, Tatiana, Maria, Anastasia, and Alexei, were shot and bayoneted to death by Bolshevik revolutionaries under Yakov Yurovsky on the orders of the Ural Revolution uh, Regional Soviet in Ekaterinburg on the night of 16, oh, July 16th through the 17th in 1918. So, 1918, this whole Romanov family, gone. Also (laughs) murdered that night were members of the imperial entourage who had accompanied them, which included the court physician, um, a lady-in-waiting, there was a footman, and the head cook. So all their bodies were taken to the Kopyaki Forest, where they were stripped, mutilated with grenades, uh, to prevent identification and buried. Ugh. And I believe it wasn't until like 2007 when they actually were yeah. able to dig up this area and do actual DNA testing. I think you're right. And they were, it was found that like, yes, this was, you know, Romanov yeah. people. So. Include a picture of this basement where they were murdered like the aftermath not of the bodies or anything but there is a picture of that just like holes in the wall of like the gunfire and yes that's right horrific um you know no one was getting out of there oh yeah oh no i know i just googled images <laughs> yikesies Ugh. Um, okay, but we're going to backtrack for a minute again. So because we were kind of talking about like what was going on during this time. So following the February revolution in 1917, the year earlier, the Romanovs and their servants had been imprisoned in the Alexander Palace before being moved to Tobolsk, Siberia in the aftermath of the October revolution. So there's just like a revolution named by the month. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's how often they're happening. Every month has a revolution. Oh, so then they were moved to a house in Ekaterinburg near the Ural, Ural Mountains, and that's 
you know, where they ended up being executed. Um, so the Bolsheviks initially announced only Nicholas's death for the next eight years. And the Soviet leadership maintained a systemic web of misinformation relating to the fate of the family from claiming in September 1919, oh, that they were murdered by left-wing revolution. So nobody's taking accountability like, no, we only killed Nicholas II. Like, right. We wouldn't you know, because and children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people did not want to hear that. So they're like, well, we don't know what happened. And so there was this whole mystery. So like nobody would officially say like what happened. And they're, they're like, well, we'll blame it on this left-wing group. Um, so the Soviets finally acknowledged the murders in 1926, like several years later. Um, this was following the publication in France of a 1919 investigation by a white emigre, <laughs> um, but said that the bodies were destroyed and that Lenin's cabinet was not responsible. So like, no, you know, it's just still ongoing. Like, what what happened? What was a big mystery? So the Soviet cover-up of the murders fueled, of course, rumors of survivors because they're thinking, oh, well, you know, no, they said only Nicholas II was murdered. So the whole rest of the family, they're around. They could be living next door to, to us. Like, they could be anywhere. <clears throat> so, of course, this led to various Romanov imposters um, claiming to be members of the Romanov family, which drew media attention away from activities of Soviet Russia. So it was like, oh, look, let's just like report on this instead. And Anastasia, the youngest daughter, she was like the most famously impostered one of them all. She was she popped up all over the world after this, um, which there are super interesting stories about people who, literally were like yes I'm her (laughs) and like yeah it's crazy I think we have to do an episode about that the podcast you're wrong about it goes into great detail about it and about probably like the most famous imposter who was like proven wrong but like that people believe for a really long time like this woman that like showed up with no memory and whatnot and um do you remember what did you ever watch Anastasia the cartoon movie as a child I don't know it was like a not so. Disney, but like. It was oh like, yes, no, it is Disney. Disney. No, it is Disney. <laughs> it's like when you know the story behind it, it's like yes. What? Why would? No, you- that is a, that is so funny because when I was like looking up some of the stuff, I did see. I go, oh yeah, that was a Disney movie. I don't think I ever saw it. I saw it. Um, I don't remember a lot of it, but like, it's more about, yes, this like missing princess and whatnot, not about this horrific murder of her family or anything, you know? I was wondering, like, I'm like, well, what part of her life do they tell? Because (laughs) she was brutally murdered. Yes. And it even has uh, the, I'm just looking it up, the evil wizard Rasputin played by the Okay. Well, I know what we're watching at family night next time. (laughs) I mean, I'm like, sit down, children. Let's watch a tale about what happened after a horrific, like, revolution in Russia. 
but yeah, this Anastasia story has just gone on in popularity mm. forever. Um, I know there was even like a TV series called the Romanovs about these potential, um, survivors and their new lives and whatnot. And their, their descendants, like this, like rumor and this fodder has just like continued yeah. to like, I know. Well, still pop- people think yes, for sure there, that was not their bodies found there. They are out living. So really who knows, but what is crazy is yes, on the Romanov side, there were imposters, but there is an imposter situation on Rasputin's side of this whole thing because his daughter, Maria, he had two daughters. I don't know the other one's name, but one of them was Maria. And she was super close to the Romanov family because she was like around the same age as their daughters. So she was like basically raised with the Romanov girls. And she remained with the Romanov family for a long time, like after her father's death. So like she was like part of this family. Um, But when it became clear that they too were at risk, Empress Alexandra gave them 50,000 rubles and essentially told them, her and her sister, to run for their lives, saying, quote, go, my children, leave us, leave us quickly. We are being imprisoned. So, like, Alexandra seemed to know that, like, we're going to be imprisoned and in exile, like, go leave while you still can. So, and, you know, Maria recalls her, like, saying this. So... That's like a first-hand account there. So Maria heeded the empress's advice and with the help of Boris Soloviev, who interestingly uh, would later become known as one of the men who attempted to cash in on the Romanov's execution by hiring girls to pretend to be the last surviving Romanov, a.k.a. Anastasia, they fled to, to Europe, okay? And the two of them, Rasputin's daughter Maria and this guy, who made money off of selling or hiring girls to pretend to be Anastasia, they married each other. They ended up getting married. It's twisted. <laughs> and they had two daughters, Tatiana and Maria, mm-hmm. which is like, this guy must have been a total groomer. Like, oh, you're connected to like Rasputin. Okay. This is like interesting. I could use you know, your name, mm-hmm. who knows? Like, oh my God. I so mean, at Tatiana this- and Maria, like the names of the Romanov children, it's like, that's commitment to the role. <laughs> Naming your kid. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. So, although she, but she did like grow up with, she was like best friends with them, really, you know? So like, it's it's just all so twisted. So at this point, the girls, um, you know, the, the two daughters and her husband, were all um, Maria Rasputin had. You know, she's mm-hmm. like, this is it. So the entire Romanov family had died. Her mother and brother had disappeared into Soviet labor camps in Siberia, and her sister died under mysterious circumstances. Some people think that she starved, but others believed that she was poisoned. And somehow Maria, you know, escaped unscathed. 
1926, when her husband died of tuberculosis, Maria Rasputin had to find a way to support herself and her daughters. So, um, you know, the only thing she really knew to use was her name because you're a widowed woman in 1926. I mean, your chances are pretty bad with anything. Um, So although she had never danced before, her famous last name led to a job offer in cabaret. This woman's never danced before. (laughs) She's going to do the cabaret. So um, she accepted the position without hesitation and took lessons to refine her performance um, before quite literally running away to join the circus in 1929. Wow. So big time for the circus. Mm -hmm. Um, So she traveled through Europe and readily used her name in order to get more gigs. And once she became trained as a lion tamer, her (laughs) career really took off. Listen, people, Rasputin's daughter was in the circus being a lion tamer. You can be whatever you want to be, boys and girls. (laughs) Yeah. This girl grew up in the Romanov, like, castles, and she's now in the circus as a lion tamer. Um, It's just insane the things you can accomplish in a lifetime. Um, she often billed herself as performing magic over wild beasts, just as her father dominated men. So it was like, you know, she's just like her father. She can like talk to animals just like he was able to like, you know, get into the head of the emperor. So the daughter of the famous mad monk whose feats in Russia astonished the world of course and um she once told an interviewer who asked her if she minded being in a cage with animals quote why not i have been in a cage with bolsheviks oh i mean so she's just as deadly if you're a romanoff so (laughs) burn burn um she ended up like living her life in the united states i believe like out in la when she did this whole lion tamer circus thing. And um, when she retired in the circus, which was in 1935, she had to retire because she was mauled by a bear. I mean, she'd like probably still be, (laughs) she would like still be taming animals if she didn't get mauled by this bear. And she's obviously her father's daughter. If like a bear mauling didn't kill her. Yeah. Well, what do you think they do for fun in Siberia in the winter? They fight bears. (laughs) That's their entertainment. (laughs) That's what keeps them warm. Just go out and fight with the bear for a little bit. (laughs) Warm up your body. Um, So eventually she ended up getting married again. And she married this man named Gregory Bernardsky. And he was a former member of the White Russian Army whom she'd known in childhood. So like she randomly meets this guy in Miami who she knew from her childhood, which is insane. That seems like fate. I would be like, okay, (laughs) we're meant to be married. Like, especially like there's like 
not it's not easy to get around these days you know to get know. from Russia to Miami are you kidding me oh no she's out in LA to Miami to she's partying with the circus I don't know but their marriage sadly didn't last that long they divorced in 1946 which is like two years before my parents were born right I mean and also it's just interesting because like it was hard to get a divorce at that time too, you know? Yeah. So like didn't care about, I mean, she so cared so much about her name, but like didn't really care when it came to like her happiness, obviously. No, but she did become a U.S. citizen and she then worked as a riveter oh. during World War II and remained in factory work until 1955. And during that decade's Red Scare, a lot of people were like, uh suspicious that maria was a communist yeah and oh wait maria <laughs> romanov should be, would be suspicious during the red scare i mean rasputin yeah yeah maria rasputin oh my god hopefully she had her ex's name right his last name um but you know she was like she was a u.s citizen she was like i am Doesn't not matter. a communist <laughs> does not matter Yep. Nope. It didn't matter. Didn't like matter. episode about how the Red Scare did not matter <laughs> if you were a oh my God. person, if you were an artist, if you were oh if my God. Oppenheimer who created the atomic bomb. He was also yeah, targeted. They didn't care. Oh yeah. The, any, anyone, anyone. That was the thing to do. Um, so in Los Angeles, the retired lion tamer subsided, uh, subsisted on social security benefits teaching Russian and babysitting. So that's how she like, you know, lived out her life. And of course, um, she did give occasional interviews to the press, like in 1968, when she claimed to be a psychic and said that Betty Ford spoke to her in a dream. So like, sometimes I think that maybe she had some sort of Russian sense of humor and like, would just like mess with the press, you know, like I'll just tell them I'm a psychic and I spoke to Betty Ford in my dreams. Like Rasputin's daughter, of course I'm a psychic. Like Yeah, yeah. Yep. And she did end up writing several books about her father. Um and like the Anastasia imposters, many wondered if Maria was an imposter too. Uh, so when Maria Rasputin died in 1977, the New York Times published her obituary calling her a quote, dancer and circus performer who contended that she was a daughter of the mad monk, Grigory Rasputin. Um, so, you know, saying contended that she was a daughter <laughs> kind of makes it sound like was she really the daughter of Rasputin? So we like some DNA testing on them, like on her. Yeah. Dig her up. <laughs> yeah, where's Rasputin? We gotta look into this. You gotta. I know, I know. So that is, I mean, that's the basic rundown. But I thought it was interesting that like you don't think like her Rasputin's daughter was just living in America in 1977. Like, oh my God. There, okay, I have to look this up because she is like not the only Russian leader's daughter to move to the US. Um, 
and live it out here. There is this podcast that I love. It's called Killed. And it's about stories that were killed before they went to print. Yes. Yes. You told me about this podcast. I've been listening to that. Yes. And there is one, I think it's in the first season that is all about, let me find it. Let me find it. Let me find it. Let me find it. (laughs) Um, This um, Russian, I can't remember the Russian queen. No, it's his daughter. I want to say it was like Stalin's daughter, I think, who like also just left and lived in the U.S. for the longest time. And like kind I of probably de- listened to this and this, I don't even remember her Russian. Um, yeah, he she like uh, disowned her like Russian roots, basically. Um, anyways, it's in that. And it's just interesting because like hearing you now talk about Maria like was the original one but a lot of these like Russian leaders daughters seem to take like haven in the U.S. you know yeah well I mean god I mean even now look at Russia it's like right would you rather be in the U.S. I mean we're nothing special but it's uh that's all I'm gonna say on that (laughs) That's that on that. Yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. Like that is, um, that is Rasputin and the connection to the Romanovs and the Russian revolution. That's a lot. (laughs) I know it was a lot. I mean, you, and you know, if you're interested in, you know, diving in deeper, please, by all means do do so. Um, if you have any other things you want us to, like deep dive into please let us know you can dm us on instagram at famous kate and liz kate and c or you can email us um famous kate and liz at gmail.com question mark question mark um yeah we would love to hear new ideas we just like we love learning about things that like we know generally like about them but then we're like wait what is like involved in this crazy let's put our diving gear on and take a dip because history is crazy yes I mean yeah I love these the series and like diving back into it because you think American history is crazy European history goes way back further and is even crazier even though this was only in the early 1900s it's just like when you get those royals involved Thing. Oh my god. <laughs> it's just crazy that there are is still like a monarchy in England. It's like Yeah. But even though yet yeah, like it's like all for show yeah. because they have some like, weird like thing worked out between the government. Like, yeah. okay, we'll like let you pretend to be it's so it's just crazy. I can't like I can't Spain, they and Norway and like all these countries still have these like symbolic monarchies. So it's like interesting. Yeah. Some got away with it where others like France and Russia, like in the US, yeah. like don't have anything like that at all, you know? Um, it is very interesting. I'm just like so fascinated by Russian history for some reason, <laughs> but only up until this point. I don't really care about anything before it. <laughs> and and <laughs> I like everything after it, but it's just like so fascinating. It's um, so and- complicated. 
so confident, but I think it really is these lasting rumors, you know, that probably the Bolsheviks, like, didn't really realize how it was almost going to, like, turn against them, you know, and, and people were going to find favor in this, like, these rumors that there might be Anastasia still alive, or, you know, is Maria really Rasputin's daughter? And right, like, that's all people cared about. Yeah, because everyone loves a good mystery, right? You yeah, know, It's just like today, we're like, we don't really need to know, like, the actual political things that's happening. Like, what did Britney Spears do yesterday? Like, exactly. That's what we need to know. Exactly. Oh, God, it's happening. <laughs> Uh, well, that was great. I thoroughly enjoyed this um, episode. I hope you all thoroughly enjoyed our Russian accents um, <laughs> as much as we did trying to pronounce the words. And yeah, there are so many great podcasts and like documentaries and cartoon movies about <laughs> this. I can't wait. I cannot wait. Yes, please go save yourselves if you looked into Rasputin's eyes Um, and we will maybe see you next week. Maybe not. We don't know. We do what we want here. So deal with it. Got a Royal villain in mind. Shoot us a a DM Instagram at famous Kate and Liz with Kate with a C. So we want to know, I mean, if they're connected to a revolution, even better, really. So. (laughs) Oh my God. Yes. Famous revolutions. We'll just call it that. (laughs) Yes, we will see you next time. Bye.